Good afternoon. You're on the panel. RNZ National, Wallace Chapman here. I'm with Julia Faiputi, Justice Advocate, and Mark Knopf-Thomas, Chief Executive of the New Market Business Association. Uh, now, air hostesses, Wallace, the common mistake. It's good to remember, though, that whatever the refreshments served on a flight, they are always served by the highly trained cabin crew, only after they have seated the passengers, secured the cabin, briefed the passengers on the required safety procedures and emergency procedures, including having their masks on. There are no hostesses on any flights anymore. So that's a very good point. So uh, kia ora for that. Uh, and it is real. ANSET used to even manage a hot dinner from one instance to Christchurch, and that was an economy. So, yes, I recall ANSET back in the day. Um, and your holiday disasters continued. We'll talk about that later. Justin says, stranded in Athens airport while my wife laid on the floor, unable to move after getting food poisoning in Egypt. So I'll read out the longer email a bit later on. To this first, oh, by the way, we discuss uh, later on the programme, uh, after 4.30, National Party MP Paul Coldsmith uh, has received little support from his colleagues for his comment that colonisation was, on balance, a good thing for Māori because it led to the creation of New Zealand. So we talk about that issue as well. First up, about 10,000 foreign workers on temporary visas, visas are being allowed to stay in the country for another six months to help ease labour shortages while the border remains shut. Migrants on working holiday and supplementary seasonal employment visas due to expire between the 21st of June and the end of December will have their visas automatically extended. Essential skills work visas for those earning below $27 an hour would be increased from six months to 12 months. But the Restaurant Association, they've launched a petition. They say the situation is beyond critical. And if today launched this two-month reset campaign aimed at forcing the government to focus on immigration issues, which they claim will cause more cafes and restaurants to close if left unresolved. So to discuss is Mike Egan, spokesperson for the Restaurant Association. Kia ora, Mike. Kia ora. Uh, so this petition is launched today. Uh, I understand 92% of your members saying it is difficult to recruit for mid to senior skill level, skill, skill level positions, so quite critical. That's right, yep. Tell us more about the campaign. It starts today. Yeah, oh, well, it's just to raise awareness. Um, you know, uh, dining out is a, is a critical part of um, the New Zealand sort of social fabric. And um, we, we just can't get enough um, people to, to, to work in the, the job since, um, since COVID. Uh, as work permits ran out, um, people left the country. And, of course, we understand that we can't replace them with the incoming uh, cohort that usually comes you know, sort of every year. Um, and so now we're, we're going, what are we going to do? Because um, we're, we're a high labour uh, industry. We need a lot of, a lot of people to, to serve. Um, you know, we need, we need one waiter for every 25 customers um, and probably, you know, 0.5 of a chef. So, yeah, it, it's getting the worst I've seen in 40 years. Worst you've seen in 40 years? I went to talk a bit, talking about a month ago, so I didn't know, three weeks ago, uh, and uh, you were on dishes duty. You were the uh, yeah. you just couldn't get yep. anybody for that night or for that week, so you needed to free up the chef and other people, so you were on the uh, dishes into the evening. Yeah. Uh, so it's really you just just what you can't get anyone. No, no, 
Um, I mean, we can, but it just takes a lot of time. And now people are starting to poach off each other. There's you know, two thousand dollar sign on fees, and so restaurants are now sort of getting, getting to the, the, the stage where um, if we can't get someone, so yeah, there's a bit of poaching going on, which is, which is never good. Um, but but I understand that has to happen. Um, but we yeah, we, we just we really hope that um, the government takes a bit of a longer term view than this. Um, once COVID's over and, and we're looking to get the tourism industry back in uh, going, um, it's been really good that New Zealanders have been going out. Um, I think uh, the head of tourism New Zealand said that a billion dollars extra has been spent by locals um, going out and visiting the country, um, and, and a bit of that went to our sector, which was great. Um, so yeah, it's not like we've got the restaurants; we've got huge demand, and um, we, we just can't fulfil it. You know. But, you know, when you've you got 50 seats, you can only fill them once in a night. Um, mm. Right. Incredible. Mike, Mike, just turn your head a bit so we can get a bit of a clearer reception from you, if that's OK. And we are, and I'll jump into yep. our panellists very, very quickly. Sure. But briefly, this two-minute lights-out initiative, just, what's that about? Well, it's just to raise awareness. Um, that, what does it do? Well, what do you do? Well, well in the restaurants, it, you know, a, a, bit, a bit like, um, you know, making the call at... Uh, it, it, on the 6th of July at 6 o'clock or whatever time we decide, we'll just turn the lights out, we'll let all the customers know, um, you know, that, um, that if, if we don't sort of resolve this, this might be happening, you know, on a, on a quieter night during the week. There's already restaurants already that are, that are not opening, um, say, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, mm-hmm. just to give their staff some time off because they can't find them, you know. The employment's there. We, we, we've got people that want, want to mm-hmm. dine out and spend money. Okay, well, Julia, what, what's your question or your thoughts on this? Uh, I think we would probably get a different perspective if we spoke with some hospital hospi- workers, and I think there's probably two issues that are happening at at the moment from how from where I see it is that we've got an industry that has low wages, and then we have outrageously increasing costs of living across our country, and if we're looking at cheap. Um, this is what I'm hearing is we're missing cheap labour, and I don't think that's a sustainable way of running and running. An industry, and we need to maybe it's the opportunity or has to be to look at how we can change things up here so we can pay people well and in a way where we're hiring, training, and retaining people in a valued industry. But you need to treat the people that are working in there that way, and it's not viable currently at. at pay rates from what I hear from people working in HOSPO that this isn't something that's sustainable and the solution isn't importing cheap labour. Um, it's something we, we need to value. And so what do we need to change to make that work? Fair point, Mike. Well, I disagree with you. I, I've got eight chefs and six of them own their own houses. And I, they all came in on temporary visas at one stage. So we pay we pay them really well. Um, and, you know, if that was the case, uh, Immigration New Zealand is short of staff to um, process residency applications. There's a two-year wait list. So... Are they not paying people enough to attract people to work in immigration? So, yeah, um, I, I disagree. It actually costs us more money to bring in people. We pay airfares. We put them up when they arrive. We'd much rather employ a local. It is so much easier than employing someone from overseas. But, but, oh, right, my, uh, I think there's a few things here. One is about the employability of people who are in New Zealand right now, and maybe that's that's an issue, that the people who are who are not working, they're, they're not for us. employability, they're not ready to work, they're not able in, to fit in into what, jobs. What, 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 skills, what is it about? Could the, be the skills, could be the level of, of the, um, you know, their ability to go in to pick up a job and work straight maybe away. Maybe they want more money. A whole lot of reasons. Whole maybe, lot they reasons want, around maybe they want more money. 
Possibly, but also I don't think, I mean, I think, you know, paying more wages is, is always a great outcome for, for a staff member, but actually the system and the rite of passage of generations of people from around the world is, is backpacking and travelling around the world and that's an experience that I had. I travelled around Europe. Many people come in from Europe to New Zealand to have the experience of working in a pub, a bar or a cafe. Um, Newmarket's got about 120 cafe, bars and restaurants and that is, what Mike is saying, is exactly the consistent feedback. Recruitment is horrendous. They cannot find people. The existing staff Staff they've got having to work sort of 50, 60, 70 hours a week to cover. Services is, is being stretched. The experience from a customer's perspective is getting worse because they're having to wait longer. The orders are, you know, taking a long time. So actually, um, I think that we're not necessarily bringing in cheap labour just to, for the sake of it. It's actually part of a, an international network of travelling which has been in place for, for many generations. Julia, do you, do you hear that? I mean, that's, that's, well, a, that's, I, a, that's I a fair point. I think, I mean, if I just look at, and there's probably some truth in that as well, but it's not uh, either or, it's, it's and, and. And then looking at what the feedback is that I'm seeing and reading from people who are working in hospitality or advocating for those who are working within hospitality, uh, it's a really difficult uh, a difficult working environment for people to sustain. And so I, I think that then we need to look at the industry. If it's so reliant on the backpackers or whoever to, co- to come to our country to work in our restaurants and cafes, then what's going on that we uh, aren't um, in a position to employ local people who are actually we need to create jobs and to create well-paid jobs and valued jobs. So there's something, I'm not saying that there isn't uh, existing struggles that Mike's um, re- referred to, but it's not just that okay. in isolation. I would think that if you look at some of the working conditions or that we're hearing from people who are working in hospital, it's a really difficult um, the question has to be why aren't people taking up this this, this it's, week. A, it's a gold-plated it's question. It's, it's a gold-plated question. Uh, Mike, a final thought on that? Well, I mean, everything's a bell curve. I mean, um, there are people at, at, at one end of the bell that, um, yes, that they're not getting paid that well and they aren't great employers, but there's a lot of people at the other end who see this is a great career and they start with us and like I did. You know, I started as an 18-year-old waiter at Common Co and have gone on, you know, just, just by getting into the industry and, and making my way through. And it's, it's a great career path to be your own boss. And, you know, the recent in Auckland, um, 80% of the winners of all the awards, best waiter, chef, outstanding establishment, um, all initially came here on temporary work visas and, and made, made a career for themselves. So they were the people that had the drive and the initiative to do right. that. And so we just need more Kiwis to do the same. Mike, all the best for you, uh, and I hope we uh, hope you sort of uh, uh, staff your. Uh, well, I hope you get this resolved at some stage. Anyway, Mike Egan, their spokesperson anyway, for the. I got a new kitchen handy started, so there you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Off to the just congratulations. Thank you, Mike. Uh, just just on that uh, final note, um, I, I I talked to uh, a person today about uh, mid-level senior chef, and also also the hours are huge. Uh, so you're preparing. You're in, you're, you're in for a prep at one p.m. You finish work at two thirty. Yeah, they're huge mm. days. But I think huge it's, a, days. it's a calling. I think for people who are uh, really for in, some, for people who for are really some. into it. But the money's got to be there to do those sort of hours. I think absolutely. There are probably operators who who operate in a very bad way and don't pay well and all kinds of <laughs> things around that. But also, I think the vast majority of our businesses uh, they've got good engaged people. They you know they're paying good rates. Uh, it's not all it's not all bare bone stuff. It really isn't. And I know from my experience with, with my my uh, members in Newmarket that we. 
I can't think of any examples where people are not being paid appropriately. Welcome your responses on this 2101. You can email me the panel at rnz.co.nz. 19 past four, Julia Faiputi and Mark Knopf Thomas with me. Now, after 66 years, the Kawaro paper mill is to close with 160 people to lose their jobs. This is the foreign-owned Tasman mill in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. Norwegian company Norsk Skog announced the paper mill would be closed and its assets sold off with production wrapping up by the 30th of June 2021. It'll be quite a blow uh, to the community of Kawaro, 7 1,500 population, where so many people have a connection to that mill, many families supported by the work there. By the way, North Skog of Norway is the world's second biggest producer of newsprint, and the ongoing decline of the newsprint industry had been the key reason for the decision. With us is Shane Tepo, sometime panellist, also from Kawara Tanakwe. Shane? Kia ora koutou. Yes. Did you see this coming? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, just to say that um, it's quite a personal sort of issue for our whānau. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of years of service uh, between my brother, who's actually the head, head union dude down there, and my father, who passed away some years ago. They did 70-plus years service. I, w- I worked a small stint there. Um, look, here's the reality, unfortunately. Um, not so long ago, 100 million tonne of um, newsprint produced by the, from that mill. Uh, they closed a, um, just because of dwindling need, they closed uh, the number one um, paper machine, and uh, now they produce 200,000. Uh, right. Tons. So, you know, minus 800,000. We just don't read newspapers like we used to. We read them online. Julia, what do you think of this? I mean, it's going to be, it, it, it always, it, it's always uh, strikes at the heart, doesn't it, when you see a major industry close in a place like Kawaro or other places? Yeah, it's, a, it's devastating because... It's really, it's really sad to hear. It's it's been a heart of of a community, and yeah. you've got intergenerations of whānau who have worked there and provided there and lived, lived in their community, and it's ripping out a, a heart of that community. Ahako, whatever the reason yeah. is that it's not a service that's needed. Um, Anymore, uh, with, I think I think to the depression that's happened when, when we go back um, to when I was born, when meat workers were closed, and what that yeah. meant for Fano having to leave the homes of where they live and have grown up and for generations, and the impact that this is the very real impact it will have on families who live there. So I've really ka ki a I think it's a very um, sad time. It is sad because I mean the, the the whole town is the whole town was really around built around the, the industry right and that's that's something which is ripping ripping it apart completely. I was just wondering, Shay, maybe you can answer this yeah. in terms of um, North Skog. Have they have they been sort of responsible global citizens in terms of providing ongoing learning and development for their team so that people are being skilled and their work ready in terms of oh. other other things. The scheme, the, 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 look, on the scheme of things, uh, just talking to my whānau down there, they're, they're, they're a good employer. It's an ageing workforce, um, you know, as, as the numbers have dwindled. Uh, but can I just say this, that I'm actually very hopeful. Over the last 10, 15 years, there's been a lot of diversification. That's a good site. It's connected to ge- good geothermal activity. And I think that and I think there will be other alternatives. There's a high-value milk plant that, um, uh, you know, recently introduced employs about 60 people, um, some of the plywood um, industries that have been set up over the last little while. So actually, I think that there's, there's some hope for a town uh, like Kawaro. Yes. And the, the genesis of it, interestingly enough, has have been the relationships between iwi, hapu, that have been uh, through the treaty settlements that are 
that, that are employers of note in, in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. That's awesome. And also, real hope. Maybe a great time too for the government to come in to provide some assistance, mm. some incentives on tax uh, to help people, you know, establish something and get it going so they could actually develop a new kind of, you know, a new business centre or a new commerce, you know, element to the town. Oh, I, that's what I would like. I, I, you know, I'm halfway through writing an article. I want, I want a ministerial task force to come in okay. with mm. the senior ministers and say, hey, look, we've actually got a well-trained workforce. Mm. We've got all this infrastructure. Mm. What should we do about it? And you know what I'd rather see? I'd rather see them put in a couple hundred million dollars in terms of um, building that infrastructure, in terms of building that workforce, in terms of empowering the workforce, rather than... Uh, let it slip and 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 then it and, and increase the numbers in terms of beneficiaries. Now's the time to do it. That, that's yeah. the direction that we don't want really to go. And just and do, we need to do it now. On a final note, uh, I think it was Rowani Pereira who was telling yeah. me that, uh, in, in part due to the mill, because uh, Rowani's from there as well, there was she a is. surprising level of diversity for a small town. There was a, it was a, it was quite it was quite a diverse place to live in. She was saying. Yeah, yeah, and and whilst the paper mill, for instance, has um, dwindled in, num- in numbers, the um, the tissue mill, Caxton, toilet paper, etc., it's increased in numbers. So there has been some diversification. Yeah, it's a great town, um, full of uh, um, uh, di- diverse industry. Um, Ruawani will know better than I because she, she, she's a little bit older than me and been around. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't tell her that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Shane, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, 25 past four um, in breaking news uh, in terms of uh, snacks on a plane I am on, uh, I am on Wi-Fi flight right now ZQN to Auckland and they've just served ice cream um, <gasps> oh. <laughs> yes <laughs> so there's one there's one for you alright 25 past four holiday mishaps we've all had the missed flights lost or stolen passports well the Guardian has compiled a few horror stories from international holiday makers including some in Australia who went on a holiday house to find it full of snakes oh. or the romantic holiday to Greece which included a moonlight cruise to an island infested with crickets and the classic <laughs> flying to the wrong country uh, wow. just one here before Julia and Mark um, dear Wallace my wife and I saved very hard to go to Malaysia for our honeymoon we got to the resort and had a bottle of champagne before heading to the pool. On the path to the pool, my wife tripped and smashed her kneecap and the local hospital (laughs) decided to put her in old school plaster up to her thigh. We got great room service for 10 days before flying home. The happy ending is that two years later, we went back, but we didn't have a drink until we got to the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. What a honeymoon. What a honeymoon. Um, Julia, do you have any uh, that you can recall at all or...? Oh, no, but I expect we'll have some in the years to come. We, yeah. With our first flights going to Aussie with a baby, it was interesting. Oh. A lot of mental work went into it, but um, she was all good for that. But I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, man, when she's a toddler, I'm running around. But, you know, parenting, people do how, that all the time. So. How was that? Because I was, uh, when we first took Little Junior on a plane, I was extremely nervous, and we... I, I made a list the night before. We made a list the night before. What things we need to pack, how we need to pack them, what do we do when we get to the airport? Well, I just, I was just like, make sure my boobs are there, really, to be honest. But um, the, it, was, it was great for now. It was like a huge sleeping machine. I mean, it's like a white noise yeah. airplane. It's kind of, of bumpy. Course. I chuck her on the feet. It worked out. Brilliantly, but I feel like it's a it's different experience every time we fly. And we're flying tomorrow up to Auckland, but that's smaller than Australia, so we'll see how it goes. 
Mark? Uh, mine, well, one of my worst, most recent ones actually was on a, going to Bali and uh, via Sydney Airport and Miss didn't realise that I actually dropped my cell phone, my iPhone on the on the concourse about that where the Uber pulled up outside and then frantically trying to find it, then luckily managed to log into my partner's iPhone and you can do the find my iPhone thing and I could see my phone bleeping across the city in an Uber. Somebody had picked it up, but it was bleeping away. No. But with the magic of technology, managed to put some alerts on the screen saying, you know, this phone needs, is, is, you know, this phone shouldn't be here to make some noise. And the lovely elderly gentleman who didn't know what to do, he picked it up, thought it was, you know, to be, to be safe. He uh, got to his daughter's work and she phoned my partner's phone and got my phone before my flight with about three seconds to spare. Wow. It was the most stressful start to a holiday I've ever had. It was hideous. But anyway, I got it back. But you got it back. Got but, it back. But, what, but there's nothing worse than stress in an oh. environment that you don't know. And travel's stressful anyway, isn't it? You yeah. Know, airports are stressful at the best of times. Yeah. Uh, our travel disaster was re- resolved by Fiat. We were driving our old camper van in Greece. We stopped to look at the view, have a cuppa. When we tried to start our van, it made awful grunting noises. We were out of cell phone range in mountains. We managed to drive very slowly down the hills to an abandoned pub with big empty car park. We ran Fiat, said we were fine. We were we were fine for the night, and they arranged to tow us the next morning. We spent a few nights at Fiat until they decided to put us in a hotel for a few days. They replaced the engine management system. We carried on travelling. A few days later, the same sound. This time, they replaced the engine management system quickly. It failed again in Germany. They never tried to find out what caused the problem, and we decided not to bring it home. Got an ex-rental Renault here instead. Uh, one more here. One time, travelling with my sister, we ran out of money in Dublin. As I didn't realise, I couldn't access money from my London account with my cash card in Ireland. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had enough pints left to go to the pub and buy a beer and have a pie. Next morning, we hitched to Northern Ireland in the hope that I could access my money in Belfast. I couldn't. So British banking system. Yeah, there's a there's a few there.